Hello and welcome to the Riverside Church podcast. This week's 9.15 sermon is entitled The Will of God and it's read by Phil Telling. Well, if you were here last week, um, Keith uh, started looking at Jonah chapter 1. And I'm just going to continue on from that. Um, The uh, title of my message this morning is The Will of God. And if you were just cashing your mind back to last week, um, just to recap... Keith looked at at chapter 1 and we see immediately Jonah is given a word. Uh, Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And Keith told us that he effectively ended up running away from the will of God. You know, when we become uh, born again, when when we become believers in Jesus... One of the first questions we have is, what is the will of God for our lives? You know, what is our purpose? What does he want us to do? And as we get a little older, we uh, quite often revisit that question, don't we? You know, if something happens and there's a, you know, we might lose a job or, um, you know, suddenly we, we meet somebody, do we marry that person? How many children should we have? Where should we live? You know, the will of God is a focus on our lives. What does he want us to do? And if you remember last week, what Keith was talking about was Jonah was given this word of God and then he runs away. So he's meant to be going sort of northeast, about 500 miles to Nineveh, and he ends up wanting to go to Tarshish, which is due west, probably in Spain kind of area. So that's probably about a thousand miles in the opposite direction. And sometimes, you know, we, we can have a word from God and we know it's right, but it doesn't actually feel very comfortable to us, does it? So just to recap, Jonah goes down to Joppa, he gets on the ship, doesn't he? And it's bound for Tarshish. And they're well out to sea, and the waves start getting rough, and a storm starts coming in. And this storm is so bad that the sailors, you know, hardened sailors, they've been sailing for years, they start getting very concerned. And they start trying to figure out who might be on board that's actually caused them this trouble. And when you look at the major and minor prophets, you'll see things that is, are going to point to Jesus all the time. They're pointing to Jesus, the major and the minor prophets, and Jonah's no exception. And so we see, don't we, if we look forward into the future, Jonah around about 800-ish BC, when we look to the time of Jesus, Jesus was on a boat, wasn't he? And there was a storm, and he's asleep in the stern and the disciples are worried and we see Jonah doing the same don't we Jonah he's in the base of the ship he's asleep uh, not concerned about what's going on and he's woken up and the sailors are concerned and they 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 ask him to seek his God and he actually ends up saying your only way to escape is basically throw me overboard 
And Jonah, uh, the, the sailors are concerned about this because they don't want to, you know, kill an innocent man because they know you're throwing him into the seas, a, a death sentence. And he says, no, it's the only way you'd best do that. And so we, uh, the, 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 they don't actually want to do it, but he goes overboard. And the Lord, it says, provides a fish. And Jonah gets swallowed by this large fish. Now, as soon as the sailors have thrown Jonah overboard, the sea becomes flat and calm. And we see, you know, sometimes God works in strange ways, doesn't he? So the, the outworking of this is the sailors see the amazing work that God has done, the creator, the one who can calm the seas, the one who can flatten mountains, the one who raises the dead, etc. They can see that the God of Jonah is a God of power. He's the real God. And they actually give their lives to him. And they want to do a sacrifice. So that's what's happening on board ship. Meanwhile, Jonah is in the sea. And the big fish comes and he's in the belly of the, of the, of the large fish. And Jonah starts to consider what the best thing to do is. He's, uh, he must be very, very dark, very smelly. He's got seaweed wrapped around him. And the only conclusion he can come to is he needs to pray. And you know, when we get into those places of affliction, those places where we don't want to be, the only way for us is to pray. And Jonah's prayer in chapter 2 is in reminding himself of the scripture that he's learned. You know, and I've said this before, and uh, you know, if you if you get deep into the scripture and you commit little bits to memory, you know, when things happen, you can trust in those things that you that's in your heart. Jonah goes through at least six or seven different lines from different psalms. And he reads from Psalm 18, he talks off in my distress. He goes into Psalm 86, from the depths of the grave I call out to you. All your waves and breakers have swept over me, Psalm 42. I've been banished from your sight, Psalm 31. The flood engulfs me, Psalm 69. But you brought my life up from the pit, Psalm 30. Jonah realises that God has put him in the sea and then in the fish. And he knows because he's running away from God. And he knows that God doesn't let you run away. And in the end of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That storm that had been sent by the Lord... You know, it says a great wind the Lord sent. The word is ruach, which is the same word for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that comes. And right at the beginning, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. You know, that word, that devour, that logos, that Jesus word. So we have, the, we have Jesus and we have the Spirit working through this story, pointing Jonah to the job that he's got to do. 
And God is a God of second chances, isn't he? You know, he actually, he asks you to do something, you don't do it. And it might not be exactly the same thing later on, but he'll bring you round. He brings your mind round to accept that his will is perfect in, in our lives. So God has a job for us to do. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And he also desires that we know it. You know, it's not some sort of secret locked in a, in a little box in the corner of our house that we can't just get the combination to. He actually wants us to know what that will is for us. But he wants us to ask, us to seek, us to find, and us to knock and find out what that will is. Because we're all different. We all move in different circles. And it'll be slightly different for all of us. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Psalm 37.23 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord. And Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. So what is God's will for our lives and how do we find it? Well, there's been some interesting things that have been put forward over, you know, sort of easy things, sort of like a little formula, if you like. So let's look at the things that we're not supposed to do on how to find the will of God for our lives. The first one is the flicking through the Bible method. Now, this method involves you close your eyes, you flick through the Bible, you come to a page, you open your eyes, and where your finger points, that's the will for your life. But this is quite dangerous because the one that I've just opened is, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of his father and in his sin. So it's probably not the best way to try and decipher the will of God for our lives. The second one is the waiting for a miracle method. Now this one is you have to do, you have to do absolutely nothing. You just walk around all day, whatever you're doing, and you're looking for a miracle. You're looking for that burning bush. Maybe saw the, 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 the bright striking light from heaven. Now the safe one of this one is, if nothing happens, you don't have to do anything. So it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite a relaxing one to do. However, you're not going to know the will of God for your life doing that. And the other one is the amazing coincidence method. Now the amazing coincidence method is you maybe pushing your trolley around Sainsbury's and you overhear somebody talking about their family who live in Australia. The very next day, you get a postcard with a picture of a kangaroo on it. And so obviously, you need to emigrate to Australia. <laughs> Again, not a good method. But how does God reveal his will to us? Well, the first and the most obvious one is through his word, isn't it? through his word in the Bible. You know, as we read the scriptures and we get to know him, we know what he loves and we know what he hates. 
And sometimes the Lord puts a scripture on our hearts and it's, it speaks to us more than what the actual words say. You know, the Holy Spirit illuminates something. So as an example, uh, George Muller in the 1830s in Bristol, he was a, a pastor of a church. And in Bristol at that time, the average age of death in the UK was 50 years old. And there were hordes of children without parents. And one day he was reading his scriptures and he read Psalm 68 verses 4 to 6. And it says, sing to God, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in his holy place. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners in singing. And that really spoke to George Muller and he, he started to pray about how he can help those children on the streets. And he actually was able to, to rent a small house uh, where just a few children started to come and he would be able to look after them. They had no finance. He was an absolutely faithful man in believing that the Lord would provide. And he never ever asked for any money from anybody. But he would see amazing miracles happen. And uh, you know, a, a businessman might come from London and just a knock at the door and, and there was no food on the table for the children and there wouldn't be a knock at the door. And the businessman has said, I was praying this morning and the Lord gave me your address quite clearly and asked me to come and give you this money. I don't know why, I'm not going to ask, but that's what the Lord's told me to do. And, and, and many times that happened in George's life and his ministry. By the time he got to the end of his life, he'd actually been able to support more than 10,000 children um, off the streets. And oh, you can imagine that his funeral, it was very, very well attended because of what he'd done in people's lives. But you know, the Lord speaks to us through his scripture. Number two, through prayer. You know, these are really, really basic ones, but you know, sometimes when we're in the throes of trying to decipher what the will of God is for our lives, or in the middle of something that's very, very frightening to us, we forget these things. But through prayer. So if we're facing choices in our life, if we're looking for direction, we need to seek God's wisdom through prayer. And in James 1, chapter, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed in the wind. And Colossians chapter 1 says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding. You know, so it's prayer for our direction and it's prayer for others' direction. You know, as we pray and we lift other people to the Lord, and we lift ourselves to the Lord, don't we, for, for guidance and for direction. Number three, seek wise counsel. Now, seeking wise counsel, this isn't from the guy 
down at the football club who's actually never been to church in his life. It's also not from Great Auntie Ethel, who watches 24-7 God TV and watches some questionable characters. It's for people that the Lord has put in your life that you trust and you know that they love the Lord and they love you. Good counsel, you know, pastors at Riverside, friends that you know well, Christian parents, they'll bring good input, reliable input, godly input. And it's a abundance of counsellors as well, not just necessarily one person. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, where there's no guidance, the people fall, but in, a, in the abundance of counsellors, there is victory. You know, and we just need to be discerning, don't we? And take everything to the Lord in prayer. It'll agree with the scriptures, and there'll be wise counsel. Number four, probably the most important, if any of these are, but submission to the Spirit. You know, we need to learn to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. You know, it's easy to be pulled to something, you know, like a career. It might not suit the family, but it might it well suit the bank balance. There has to be a balance. It has to be godly input. You know, we can't deny our circumstances for what might appear to be very, very uh, um, fleshly, for want of a better word. But whilst we're not really, whilst we're seeking direction of what the Lord wants us to do, at the very, very basic level, there's four things that the Lord wants all of us to do, whether we've been saved for an hour or whether we've been saved for 50 years. That we learn more about God. Every day we learn more about God. We learn not just about him, but we're in relationship and we know him better. That we grow in grace. You know, grace is, is, is lovely when it's poured out on us, but we need to pour that grace out on others. And that we study his word, because that's going to make us grow. And number four, that we share our faith. That the Lord wants plenty of people in his kingdom, and he chose to use us to bring others in. We just have to do that little obedient bit, and he does all the rest of the work. But to pursue God, we also know that we need to be patient. You know, sometimes it's very, very small steps that we're taking, little tiny steps, like toddler steps. And other times, it's a leap of faith. You know, we're not sure all the signals are pointing that this is what the Lord wants us to do, but we just feel like we just feel a little bit standbackish. But we need the Lord to just give us that final push. Matt, can you just pull that to that video? I'll just turn the lights down. It's impossible. Nobody can jump. 
must hurry. Come quickly. It's a leap of faith. Sometimes he'll say, stop or not go. And uh, in Acts chapter 16, 6, remember when Paul and his companions went through uh, Phrygia and, and Galatia? And it says, the Holy Spirit um, kept them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And it says, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And it's during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, they got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. And so we've got that assurance that the Spirit of God will just keep us on the right path. So the four things when seeking the will of God, study his word through, the, through the, the written word in the Bible, through prayer, through wise counsel, and through submitting to the spirit. And any of those ones after, you know that they won't contradict the word of God. It will always be in line with the scripture. Andy.